our weekly perceptions. Now then, welcome to another Daily Perceptions. Normally done in my car, but obviously when I'm speaking to people and doing interviews, I can't do that in my car. That would be very rude of me and probably illegal as well. So I do it at home when I'm sat in the comfort of my own bedroom. And uh, the other week I was chatting to Sonny T all about influencer marketing. And it made sense that I get one of my mates on, Mr. George Benson. How are you doing, George? I'm very good, mate. Thank you very much for having me. Not a problem. So... For those people who don't know who you are, I've kind of given you that very brief introduction. Explain who George Benson is. Well, as Simon has already said, my name's George Benson. I'm 24 years old. I'm from Newbury, and I've been making YouTube videos for the past six and a half years, almost seven years. And throughout that time, I've made a bucket ton of content from gaming videos to football videos to travel videos to motivational videos, lots of stuff. Okay, so... Would you class yourself as an influencer? That's the first question. As much as the word does my head in, yes, I would. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and, and so people get a rough idea of uh, what an influencer is. Do you want to just maybe throw some of your numbers out there? Yeah, so an influencer is somebody who in 2018 supposedly has an audience of whom he or she can influence with products or services and basically trying to sell something to an audience. Um, throughout my time on the platforms, I've managed to gain over 1.3 million subscribers, 100,000 Instagram followers, 100,000 Twitter followers plus. And through making these videos, I've kind of been able to build a social platform for myself through using different social media outlets. So that's quite an audience you've got. And um, first things first, because obviously there's a lot of people who want to become influencers for some reason or another. They see uh, people like yourself doing it and think that's the life I want to live. So how yeah. did you get into creating content in the first place? So for me, it was just being exposed in a boring day in the common room at school to a couple of people who made these crazy videos online where they were trying to teach people how to get better at video games. And at the time, I really enjoyed video games, but wasn't very good at them. So naturally, I invested my time in watching people. And uh, by the time I'd spent about two months watching content, I realized that it wasn't just what the people were saying that I was interested in it was actually them as people and as you start to watch more and more of people you start to get a feel about what that person is like you kind of see them as like a I don't want to say a friend but more of a relatable character um on the internet which is kind of weird when you say it like that but it's <laughs> kind of the way it all started for me and then I just thought whatever money I make from working my job which at the time was hoovering offices which I loved because I could listen to podcasts Daily Perception wasn't available then, so I had to use alternatives. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was just going around, listening to podcasts, listening to videos, even though I wasn't really watching them, whilst Uber in offices, and thought, you know what? When I get enough money from my wages from this job, I'm going to buy a capture device. I'm going to film my games, because I've got quite good now that I've been taught by somebody else, and I'm going to give this a go myself. And, and I want to lean into a little bit of that story, because I know exactly where it goes, you're talking about the cleaning job. There was one night when all hell broke loose, basically, didn't it? Oh, yeah. The Hoover broke. I emptied it on the floor. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, so there was a really cool thing back in, uh, I say back in the day, people still use Blackberries now, but I was using a Blackberry phone, Blackberry Bold at the time. And one thing that Blackberries are great for, I'm sure everybody in business knows this, is Blackberries and emails go very, very well together. So I had my YouTube subscription inbox linked to my BlackBerry phone that I'd carry around with me whilst I was 
whilst I was working. Now I'd listen to my I'd listen to my podcast on my iPhone, and I'd have this old BlackBerry just for YouTube emails. And what was happening was I'd be going to a shift, which was two hours long, and instead of getting maybe like one subscriber and leaving the the offices that I was cleaning and being happy, it was starting to become like four or five hundred new people during my shift, and my phone couldn't handle it, and it was like breaking the email inbox. And that was probably one of the most exciting feelings I can ever remember. And, and so what was the reason behind that when it started to really blow up for you? So the thing for me was I was kind of doing something that I had no experience with. And quite frankly, there were tons of people that were far better than me. So I wasn't really getting any traction. So I decided to use some of the talents that I do have, such as putting on funny voices of cartoon characters. Um, and I used that over the top of what I was already doing, which kind of gave me my own little niche. Um, and as I think with most things in life, as soon as you start doing something that other people aren't doing, people become more interested whether they like you or not. So it was kind of a trying to find my own sort of spin on something that was already getting popular. And in doing that, I obviously found uh, my own USP. And I suppose it goes back to what you were saying before as well, that those silly voices kind of make you relatable as well to the people who are listening. And something else that you did as well was you took the mickey out of yourself rather than out of other people quite well. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things I managed to do, which kind of, because when, when you're doing something like, you, you're kind of taking the piss when you're doing someone else's voice, if I'm allowed to say that. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so one of the things I tried to do was to make sure that I was never using voices in an abusive way. I'd never be trying to like put someone down it would always be like a kind of sarcastic antagonistic way but throughout without saying anything that could really spark someone off but the funny comedy that came with that is even though I was just being super normal and saying really nice things people would get so angry and that was kind of where the the comedy aspect of the videos came because without really doing anything I was just really annoying people <laughs> just like today just like nowadays yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, so skipping forward a few years then, and so you've created loads of great content in the past. You've, you did the Omegle videos, you've done the FIFA stuff, you played in the FIFA, um, the EE Cup at Wembley. You've had all these great opportunities. As, as yeah. an influencer, how do brands and people like that approach you as an influencer? Do they come along and say, we want you to create this, or do they come along to you and give you carte blanche to create content that will work with them as a brand? Or how does it work? So obviously, in terms of selling yourself the dream for this, the dream would be to be able to pitch to any brand in the world and say, I want to do this, give me money, let's make it happen. But sadly, the space isn't really old enough yet for the, for the brands to be able to have the trust in influencers to be able to just approach anybody and say, give me £100,000 to make this project happen. So the way it's worked for me over the years is um, I have a manager who manages my emails, manages all of my business incomings, I guess you could say, when it comes to working with brands. Yeah. And the stuff will come in where they say that they usually be through agencies where they say that there is a project with X brand and they have this budget and they want you to produce this content. Does this work for you? And then obviously there's a negotiation process that happens. But the majority of the times in recent years, brands have been coming to creators with ideas. And then from that, if you manage to do well and you create something that they really like, you enjoy creating the content for them, uh, it then gives you the leeway to be able to approach that brand again in the future and say, well, this worked quite well this time, but how about we do it my way this time because I know my audience better. And although they may have enjoyed it last time, 
if I can do it this way, they're going to love it. And brands are becoming much more keen on this idea because they can see the success that's coming with working with influencers that way. Yeah. So we mentioned numbers earlier on. I I tend to call them vanity metrics these days because a lot of brands and businesses are starting to understand more about social media and how it works and stuff. Um, So how do you feel about the numbers that you have on your different accounts? And how do you think brands are now approaching it? Do you think they're coming at it as a, well, actually, we want to see how people are interacting with your content and are you getting better metrics that way? Or do you still think they approach somebody and go, oh my God, you've got 6 million subscribers, you might only get 2,000 views a video, but you've got 6 million subscribers, we'll use you. Yeah, well, I think the way it was maybe two or three years ago is vanity metrics were important. People would just see the potential of, say, a million people clicking on a video and they would throw thousands of pounds of that now i think there's so many analytics available and i guess before there wasn't really any case studies to show whether it was a successful uh, marketing method or not but now there is for example you mentioned the wembley cup earlier on um that was obviously a huge success the first time so then they decided to move the second one into selling tickets and getting people involved yeah so i think in terms of whether the vanity metrics are still important i think because that those case studies are available and the analytics are so readily available. Uh, it's becoming much more targeted now. And I think that the brands that are spending money are spending more money on specific individuals as opposed to just throwing loads of money at loads of different people in the hope that they might just hit the right number of people. Yeah. And do you think that's the right way to do it, maybe? Do you think maybe they should be more focusing on, for example, micro-influencers, those people who may not have the massive numbers, but they have the better engagement? It's difficult for me to say, because through changing my content, I've still got masses of people subscribed, but it may not be, I may not be making the content now that people originally subscribed for in the first place. So it's kind of a distortion between how many subscribers you have and how many views your content has. But for example, when I do something that involves football, I can guarantee that 100,000 people are going to watch it. But then say, for example, I'm talking about, uh, for want of a better term, like the male psyche and various different things that go along with personal development. Yeah. I may only get to like 6,000 people's interests. So I think that, If there is somebody who is making great content that may be seen by two or three thousand people, but you're getting like a hundred, two hundred people engaging with that piece of content, then I think that is certainly a great way to go because obviously the brands have to spend less money because, well, not always, but because most of the time these people's rates are far lower because we've been we've been accustomed in recent years to base the rates that you charge off of how many followers you have. Yeah. Whereas if someone is is pulling in such high engagement but they still don't have very many followers, the chances are they're still caught up in that vortex where they can only charge the premium rates when they've got higher numbers. And I think it's still in that transition right now where uh, the creators and the brands don't really understand the polarity between the two. So. And for brands actually trying to approach influencers now, I think there is a really great time right now to be to be working with multiple micro-influencers on campaigns because you may necessarily get much more engagement for your money than, say, throwing it at somebody who, yeah, they've got a million subscribers, which increases the potential reach, 
But the overall outcome, nine times out of ten in that situation, is probably going to be far less beneficial to the brand. And and so do you feel as well that taking it into the social media platforms aspect as well, do you think they've almost been a victim of their own success almost, that all these people who have been on there and succeeded really, really highly, uh, they've got lots of followers and all this kind of thing, that they're going to struggle as, as time goes on? Yeah, I mean, I can speak from personal experience uh, in terms of how many requests I've had in the past compared to how many requests I get now to work with companies. I think that um, it's obviously a very difficult time right now where I kind of always look at it, influencer marketing in particular, like a seesaw, where originally all the mainstream media outlets were the people at the top of the seesaw sorry the people that were on the the bottom end of the seesaw weighing down the influencers and all of a sudden the influencers start pushing down saying actually you know what we want a slice of this pie we want a slice of this cake and all of a sudden brands went from spending the money on the big tv campaigns and the big billboards they tried out the influencer thing and then maybe the results weren't as high as they would have expected they probably spent less money but whether the results actually matched what they expected uh, probably means now that the seesaw is starting to rebalance itself again where companies have maybe failed the first time they've worked with influencers because they weren't sure what they were getting into. So now that they're shifting their money again back into mainstream media, I think at this moment in time, it's very much an up and down seesaw where companies don't really know the best way to approach it. And at the same time, they're going back and sticking with what they know, which is this mainstream media advertising. Yeah, and I suppose it's it's quite a cannibalised market as well, isn't it, social media? So there's there's a lot of people who are around the same numbers and the same kind of reach, and you go, oh, I don't know which one to go for for the best. Let's stick to what I know instead. Yeah, I mean, I think it's obviously with any marketing investment, there's always going to be risk involved, and you want to try and make sure you've got the best fit for your brand or for your company when it comes to someone that they're selling you, in effect. So I think... Another thing that I've experienced throughout the market is that there'll be people out there that will completely undercut uh, the prices that are kind of the going rates for projects. And through undercutting, it lowers the overall value of people's work. So I think one thing that's very important for anybody who is approached by brands is to never undervalue yourself just because you think it's a cool opportunity to be able to put on your CV that you worked with this big brand or that big brand but they're trying to let you do something for free because they've got their name to sell themselves yeah i, I get that i get that completely and um, so out of interest then without obviously going too far into it because i'm sure you you sign ndas and that where do you see brands spending the most money because one of the areas i talk about a lot is talking to brands and small businesses about actually the most undervalued real estate at the moment is Facebook and Instagram. It's really cheap to buy advertising on there and you can put a small amount of money in, get really logistical with who you're aiming at and actually get a really good reach for it. Where do you see brands spending the money, the ones that you've been working with? I mean, I think a lot of it, there's there's a real science behind it because I see it on my Facebook every single day. As much as I don't want to see it, it drags me in. So the other day I was, I, I was just browsing through and there was an ad that appeared and even though kind of all the adverts get on my nerves because all I want to see is what my friends are up to. It caught my eye enough for me to sign up for a two and a half hour webinar. (laughs) And then the next thing I know, the bloke who's trying to teach me something for free, which was great because that's what brought me into it in the first place, is trying to sell me a course for $6,000. But I didn't buy it. I still thought about it, which at the end of the day, a lot of these brands that are spending money 
Um, it's not always to try and increase sales directly. It's often to just improve their brand awareness and just to get their products or services in people's heads so that they can potentially go into it in the future. Yeah. Um, so in terms of Facebook, it's working even for Facebook's biggest haters right now. And I'd say I'm <laughs> one of them because I said to myself, I will never be sold by one of these adverts because even though it's tailored for me, because you can literally knock it down to almost the nearest street name and number, which is crazy and scary, but we won't go into that. Um, it's clearly something that is proving and providing results. So I think Facebook and Instagram, if you're not on it already, are certainly things as a small business or even a big business that you should be really focusing on because these social engagements are just huge. And, and influencer marketing as a whole, then, something, this is something, again, that I talk to people about. Um, you'll get people coming to me who are B2C businesses, so that they've got a product to sell. It's something tangible. You can get a hold of it. And the first thing I say is, have you spoken to influencers? Even reached out to people and gone, look, we've not got much budget. We can chuck you £100 and some product. Would you mind working with us and see what they say? And where do you see the future of influencer marketing over the next, say, five or ten years? Well, the interesting thing for, for me, obviously, I've grown up where this is a brand new thing. This is something that came up around ten years ago with people like creating content, posting it online. And when I was a eight, nine-year-old child, I was saying I want to be a footballer or I want to be a tennis player, whereas kids are growing up now and they're saying I want to be a makeup YouTuber, I want to be like Zoella or yeah. I want to be like KSI. So this space is only going to grow and i think that if companies and businesses are reluctant to get involved i kind of think like they're turning off their attentions to a market that's only ever going to grow um and the thing that comes with that when the interest gets higher is that more people want to get involved more people get excited by the real basic things so i think that somebody who's new to the space somebody who's managed to get the google algorithm on their side and somehow is gaining an audience these people are still going to get excited by doing a post or a shout out and receiving something for free. So if you're a company, it's not, well, I shouldn't say it, it's a great time to capitalize on all of these new young people who are jumping on this because, you know, they see their favorite influencer posting a photo of their new free shoes, which is amazing. We all want to get free stuff, right? So I think it's definitely a wave that is only going to grow. There's only going to be more potential avenues to sell and even though as an influencer myself i would preach to other influencers to know your value stick by your value otherwise the marketplace just completely dilutes um the reality of the situation is so many people are happy to do stuff for little money or no money and the benefits of the companies are huge because these people have audiences and people are going to buy what they are trying to sell because that's what that's the whole word influencer it's like we can influence you to buy this product so companies are going to rake it in and like you say it's growing as time goes on and and something else that i talk about a lot when i'm doing talks with people is the fact that the people who are 15 to 21 years old at the moment using things like snapchat might not have the spending pound but if you're playing the patience game and look 10 years down the line when they're 25 30 years old they'll be making money that they could be spending with you and if they're already a raving fan they're going to spend it with you further down the line so you've got to kind of almost as a business try and play that long game as well yeah i think obviously the main way to make money in this space is to uh, to be able to get a core group of people that would 
buy anything that you tell them to buy. If you tell them that they, you've just found the greatest pencil on earth and it's going to change your life if you write with this pencil, and you've got 100 people that will hang off every word you say, the chances are a lot of them are going to buy this pencil, even if it's just a standard blunt pencil. Have you got a web address um, for this pencil? I want this pencil. Yeah, it's www.idontknowwherethispencilis.com. <laughs> it's, you know, who knows? <laughs> but, in, yeah, it's, it's, it's all about trying to sell yourself uh, so that when people believe in you enough, you have that ability to be able to sell something. Um, and obviously, it all comes down then to integrity of the, of the person who has the influence, whether they want to promote stuff that's a load of shite or whether they want to promote something that's actually going to benefit the people that are consuming their content. Even though it may not be the most ethical form at all times, it's something that is certainly making money right now for everybody involved, apart from those that are spending money on blunt pencils. <laughs> um, you know what? I'm going to leave it there, George, because I think that's a good point to leave it on. Thank you very, very much for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. I think uh, I'm going to eat a sugar cube now. I need a bit of energy, but that was fun. I enjoyed that. Awesome. Thanks a lot, and I'll catch you soon. Yeah, see you, mate. Cheers. This podcast has been a Perception Studios UK production.